0: Shenatova. Shenatova. I want to invite you to take a moment to think silently about how you would fill in this sentence. I worry about division around the issue of blank in my local Jewish community. Perhaps you would say racism, or Israeli politics, or gun violence or COVID, or local or national politics, or one of many other issues? How would you fill in this statement? My relationship with my blank has suffered as a result of national polarization. I have heard answers such as my parents, my spouse, my siblings, my coworkers, my boss, my friends. Many of our important relationships have been challenged of late by what we might term toxic polarization, a term I will define shortly. And I would like to focus some attention on the current toxicity tonight or today as we think about how best to move into this new year. Now, people have always had differences of opinions, of course, and we know that in times of stress, times of war or economic hardship, or a pandemic such as we have just experienced, the divisions become more pronounced. But over the last few decades, there has been a noticeable and noteworthy rise in divisive polarization. One research study asked groups of parents annually for the last 60 years whether they would have a problem with their child marrying someone who voted for the opposite political party. In 1960, almost no one had a problem with that. Today, 50% of the population, both Republicans and Democrats, would not want their son or daughter to marry someone of the other main political party. Another study revealed that 70% of Republicans and 56% of Democrats today see the other party as, quote, a serious threat to the United States and its people. Over half of our country feel that politics has become an intensely zero-sum situation where the winner takes all. With this rise in hyperpolarization, we see a parallel rise in public hate rhetoric and the weakening of US institutions. Social scientists say that normal polarization is when we have different views from other people, but we stay personally connected to them. Normal polarization happens frequently in life, such as when we have differences that are focused on issues or we root for different sports teams. But toxic polarization often involves a dehumanizing of the other person. Now, because of your views on certain issues, I don't like who you are and your team or your group is evil and must be stopped. Toxic polarization can be dangerous. It leads to greater violence. For example, one study showed that 9% of Republicans and Democrats say that violence is at least occasionally acceptable. But when imagining an electoral loss in 2020, when the stakes felt very high, 18% of Democrats and 13% of Republicans said they approved the use of violence. Toxic polarization has a tendency to spiral to greater and greater division. So we need to take it seriously. Today, there are some organizations such as the One America Movement, Over Zero, Beyond Conflict, and Braver Angels that are focused in one way or another on trying to reduce the toxic polarization in the United States. Some of these organizations bring together diverse groups, whether they be religious, political, issue-based, or in any other way, divided, and work to create bridges between them. Repeatedly, people who attend these workshops say they come away with a better understanding of views not shared. They leave with important insights and an appreciation for the individuals who have a different perspective. It is amazing what can happen when we work on listening to each other. But it can be an uphill battle for us to tone down our reactivity Research tells us that we humans often have misperception problems that we're not even aware of. And this is partially because our brains are very quick to make judgments. Here's an example. It turns out that our views on others are often very influenced by how we think they feel about us. If you believe that another person hates you the science tells us that you will be more likely to decide to hate them. This leads to treating each other poorly and feeling that we are justified in doing so. And we tend to spiral further away from each other without even ever entering into true dialogue. So just thinking that another person disapproves of us or our views is enough to often change our behavior. If you are wearing a vegan t-shirt and I am eating a hamburger, I already don't want to sit by you because I have decided that you hate me. And you know what? I don't like you either. It is incredible, if you think about it, how quickly we build up a whole story in our head about who someone is, what they believe, and whether we should like or dislike them. It turns out that our brains make a lot of miscalculations about others. Research tells us that people tend to think better of the group that they are in, whether it's religious, political, one of social standing, or other types of groups, than of the group they are not part of. We often believe that our own group members act out of love, but that the out-group acts out of hate. However, it has been shown that if we slow down to really think about human nature, we're able to get a much more nuanced and accurate perspective of both our group and those not in our group. And we are often unaware of the misperceptions caused today by our knowledge gaps. Part of the problem is that through some of the mainstream media, and certainly through social media, Many of us are exposed to those people who have the most radical and controversial views. And we then tend to generalize to a whole group and think that those beliefs are the norm for the group. An insightful example of this was shown in a study done in 2021 by the Beyond Conflict organization. People who identified as Democrats or Republicans were asked if they thought that people in their party valued democratic values. And democratic values were defined as all adult citizens enjoying the same political rights, elections free from manipulations, and a government that does not punish opponents. People of both parties overwhelmingly said that these values were extremely important to their party most saying that people of their party value Democratic values at 90% or above on a scale of 0 to 100. Then they were asked to rank how committed they felt the other party is to the norms of Democratic values. And both Republicans and Democrats hugely underestimated how much the people in the other party valued Democratic norms the graphs showing this are actually quite striking. So we begin to see that if we want to understand individuals or groups and their beliefs and motivations accurately, we need to be aware that many of our perceptions may in fact be incorrect. And we need to engage people in conversation to learn what they really believe. We might ask, what does Judaism teach us about handling tough disagreements? Well, at our best, we Jews have worked to stay in relationship with one another, even while having serious differences. For example, in the first century CE, two of the most significant Jewish thinkers of their time were Hillel and Shammai. Each was the head of his own academy with many students. And each academy, Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, offered important and often opposing views on the key questions of their day. One of the things that they disagreed about were some of the laws of marriage. In the midst of telling us about these differences, the Talmud makes the point that nonetheless, the men of Beit Hillel did not refrain from marrying the women from Beit Shammai, and the men of Beit Shammai married spouses from the Beit Hillel families. The text goes on to say that this teaches that they showed love and friendship to one another, fulfilling the prophet Zechariah's teaching that we should love truth and peace. Perhaps we today need to hear Zechariah telling us too to strive for peace, and when possible, even while disagreeing on important topics. In addition, I think that our most central idea, monotheism, can help us to put the brakes on our own tendencies to focus too much on divisions. Judaism teaches that since we all have one creator, we should remember that we are all brothers and sisters, all connected to one another. We are called upon to care about the well-being of everyone and to realize how much we have in common. Having said all of this, I feel a need to offer a clear caveat. I am not saying that all views are okay. This is not a sermon on moral relativism. I know that there are some dangerous views in our world today, such as those expressed by the growing number of hate groups. We need to speak out clearly against beliefs that are dangerous. We cannot ignore bad actors or vicious views. Every year, for I don't know how long, the President of the United States, whether a Democrat or a Republican, has spoken briefly to American rabbis on a High Holy Day call shortly before the holidays. President Biden, on just such a call the other day, noted that where hate is involved, silence is complicity. And the newly appointed US Special Envoy for Monitoring and Combating Antisemitism, Dr. Deborah Lipstadt, reminded us on the same call that nothing is solved by silence. We need to speak out against the ills that we see in this world. In fact, I think all the more so, with so much at stake, it is important to be able to dialogue with people. We need as many partners as we can get to work on the problems of this world. And we will get farthest in working on our problems if we understand others' perspectives. I'm not talking about dialoguing with white supremacists, but rather with good people who have reasoned views that diverge from our own on various things. Most of us want to be able to talk to our friends, our neighbors, family members, even if they have views that are different from ours. So we need to think about how to do so, given how charged so many topics are today. So beyond being aware of our perception gaps, how do we go from stalemate and avoidance of tough topics to discussions and bridging divides when we decide we want to do so? Rabbi Michael Holzman, who is a dear friend of Rabbi Linder's, uh, spoke on this topic recently. He has both the joy and the challenge of leading a Reformed Jewish congregation near Washington, D.C. As you might imagine, many people in that congregation, being so near D.C., have very strong feelings about politics and social issues. Politics had become so divisive in that congregation that it was virtually taboo there. The leadership realized that they faced the challenge of how to make the congregation a place where congregants could coexist peacefully with divergent views, where all would feel heard, and where the congregation could be active in social justice advocacy, even when everyone did not share the views of the majority. I'm not going to go into all the things they did to create both programming and a culture that provides a safe space for divergent views. But I will share one key strategy that undergirded a lot of their shift in culture. Through a lot of talking and processing, the congregation committed to being a safe space for people to calmly express their views. They created a social norm of listening to each other, They have a saying there now, in our community, we meet each other with curiosity before criticism. Such a great idea. So can we do that? Can we listen to one another? People appreciate being heard. So just being willing to hear a view that is different than yours and to say, I hear you can build bridges. We don't always have to give a rebuttal. We can learn from taking in another's perspective and be grateful for their sharing. One little suggestion I learned for getting people to share openly is to ask the question, how, instead of why. When we say, why do you believe that? We often put people on the defensive, but asking how did you come to that decision when asked in the right tone can show curiosity and openness and lead to conversation. As we start a new year, I hope we here can model respectful dialogue and an appreciation for each other, even when we hold dissimilar views. We humans need each other, and most of us are just trying to find our way through this world with our limited knowledge. Let us remember the humanity of each other, just as we want others to see ours. I know this is a tall order in today's world. I myself need to work on this. But may we nonetheless strive to be among those who build bridges and who bring more peace and understanding to our world. Amen. Amen. Amen.